Praise the Lord, everybody. We welcome you tonight to Tuesday Night Bible Study on the Rock. We've been doing a series of Bible study lessons that kind of reset uh, on a foundational level of where we are in our walk with God. And whether you're a new disciple or whether you are someone that has been living for God for a good period of time, these are foundational kind of components to our walk with God. So we're trying to look at them in some kind of a measured and developed way. So we've talked about uh, initially some things that were important foundational elements. And now we've kind of stepped into uh, those elements that have to do more with life skills. So the last lesson, we talked about emotional wholeness and what that means. Um, I, I received a good amount of comments, good comments, about people that appreciated the fact that we talked about that in a Bible study setting. Those kind of discussions are not necessarily what you hear over the pulpit. You may hear in preaching um, some directed attention or focus or words or comments that have to do with emotional wholeness, but not just on a, a Bible study format. And I think it's, it's profoundly important, especially for people that are coming to God, because in many cases, their life skills are what they really, really need work on. So God has opened up this transforming work in their life and new things are happening but there's, their life skills are what need to be developed in order for them to continue a successful walk with God. And that's not just for new converts, but that is for us as well. God intends for us to be emotionally whole individuals and people, and his word, the scripture, the spirit of God, all of that is to work uh, together in unity to uh, develop us and draw us to be become more Christ-like. So this lesson here uh, tonight is going to be on gracious communication. And this is, again, some of these lessons are so very, very timely. And I think this is a very timely uh, lesson on gracious communication. So let's pray and let's ask that God would help us for a few moments together. I hope you're sitting around. I hope you have the word of God out. We will turn to some key passages. Uh, I hope you're taking some notes, jotting some things down. And I hope you have an opportunity to reflect upon what we've been talking about uh, the last couple of weeks here in Bible study. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and worship you for your goodness to us. I thank you that in trying times, we can open up your word and your word becomes a strength to us. It provides nutrients to us. It provides encouragement to us. I pray that you would help us tonight as we open your word and we receive those things that will help us in our communication, talking with others, communicating with others, understanding the aspects of communication and how that, in the midst of that discussion, you are right in the midst of that. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. A question I'd like to ask you in the beginning is, do you consider yourself a good communicator? Do you consider yourself a good communicator? And then, of course, a corollary question to that one would be, 
what all is involved in effective communication. The Word of God has something to say about communication, how we should view it, and I want us to turn to Acts chapter 15, verse number 1. This is going to be a passage that helps us see some of the various components of communication, what they do with it, the conclusion at which they arrive. This was a very profound moment in the church. So turn to Acts chapter 15, verse number 1. We will read verse number 1, and we will read verse number 12. Acts chapter 15, verse number 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. This was uh, going to be quite a point of contention. Verse number 12, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Acts chapter 15 is known as the Jerusalem Council. And they are there because God is doing tremendous things, marvelous things. There's this new movement. There's this church that has been formed. They've gathered in Jerusalem. There's an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It spills out into the street. It is poured out. The church is inaugurated. It's poured out on Jews. It pours out into the streets. And you start seeing a rapid expansion of this new movement that Jesus Christ has inaugurated. And they are preaching and teaching what Jesus has instructed. And so God is doing great things. Acts chapter 2, you see that. In Acts chapter 8, you see the Holy Ghost being poured out to the Samaritans. In Acts chapter 10, you see something profound happen. The Holy Ghost is being poured out to the Gentiles. Right in that particular time period, you see Paul coming to God. Uh, on his way to Damascus, he has a, uh, an encounter with God. Paul starts preaching and teaching. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, goes to Cornelius' house. He has a vision about unclean animals and clean. And God is revealing to him some things. He shows up at Cornelius' house. They receive the Holy Ghost. They're baptized in Jesus' name. So it becomes very apparent that this new movement is not just inclusive of the Jewish body, but is being poured out to the Gentiles as well. Paul recognized on his first missionary journey with Barnabas uh, that God is doing a work among the Gentiles. Not everybody understood this mission. Uh, not a, uh, everybody understood the ramifications of this new movement. That initial Jerusalem outpouring was to the Jews, and yet God's pouring out a spirit to the Gentiles, and there is pressure that is placed on Paul to teach some aspects of the law, particularly circumcision. And so this necessitated a council meeting. And in Acts chapter 15, it tells us right in the beginning why they are meeting. They're meeting because some have said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they were putting in the plank of salvation. Circumcision was a necessity. This necessitated a council meeting. And that's what happens in 
Acts chapter 15. One verse that's interesting is that uh, verse number seven said, when there had been much disputing, much disputing. So there was a lot of communication going on here. There was some conflict going on here. People were disputing. There was much disputing. Verse number 12 that we read is another interesting principle of communication. The multitude kept silence and gave audience to Paul and Barnabas, who's talking about what God did on their first missionary journey. What is our typical instinct when disagreements arise? When we have a disagreement, our typical human instinct is to defend and that's typically how we approach, thing, approach things. Why do you think in this instance the church chose to come together and address this issue? Well, this was a big issue. And God is doing miraculous things among the Jews and the Gentiles. If they don't settle this, there's going to be disunity and, and some major ramifications for the movement that was God-ordained, not just to the Jews, but to the world. So if they can't figure this out and they can't come together, the Jews and the Gentiles, as the church, not an exclusive movement, but an inclusive movement of all people, we would not see the end result of the book of Acts and we wouldn't see the move of God and revival that happens around the world. So this was a, a paramount meeting and council that had to be addressed. There was much disputing and, and they listened. They presented their sides in cases. They kept silence. They listened. And in the end of that particular meeting, they wrote a letter after this manner and it's found in verse number 23. So this is the conclusion of the Jerusalem council. Acts chapter 15, verse 23 they wrote a letter. This was the letter. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. This was the area in which Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey traveled. Forasmuch as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we've gained no such commandment, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which, if you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fare ye well. So they came together. They were, this is really, really important. And this is what they exemplified. They came together seeking resolution rather than rigidly resisting each other with whom they disagreed. And they came together with a resolution and they came together with a solution it was a great dispute, it was a conflict, but through their communication skills, they arrived at something that was palatable, that allowed clarity and allowed the gospel to move forward. And the gospel became paramount over their own personal opinions. 
They weren't rigidly resisting each other, but they arrived at a conclusion. Now, brothers and sisters, this thing called gracious communication is very much a challenge. It is not something that is easy. And I think that is a very, very important point. In response to God's work of transformation, we want to reflect his love to other people. And the way that we can do that is through communication. And so it's a challenge. Yet in a world that we live of broken people, we're still human, which makes communication challenging. And we need, God, we need God's grace and guidance in our communications. So a passage of scripture that I would like all of us to turn to is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 29. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good unto the use of edifying. So edifying is a very, very key word. Communication should be edifying. Another verse that goes along with that is found in James. James. James chapter number three and verse number eight. Finally, James. Chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that you are therefore unto called and that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. All right, these are two great passages of Scripture. What kind of words should we avoid? We should avoid corrupt communication. What do you think it means to come boldly before God? And in this case, in our communication, what do you think it means that ministering grace unto the hearers should entail. It should tail and entail edifying. And what can we impart through our communication? We can impart blessing or we can impart cursing. Why are our words difficult to control? Well, our words are difficult to control because sometimes we have no governor that's on our lips, on our mouth, and on our tongue. It's like a golf cart. A golf cart, you can accelerate to a certain point, and there's something called a governor that slows the, it, it, it limits the, the speed and the, the acceleration. 
that can be um, accessed in a golf cart. The Word of God and the Spirit of God should be the same kind of governor on our communication. If, if we want gracious communication, there are some controls that should be in our lifestyle. Now, that makes us different than people of the world because there's, there is no governor, there's no control. The Word of God is our control. The Holy Ghost in our life should be a control in terms of our communication. Amen. And this communication is a very, very challenging thing. We speak. That's an element of communication. We listen. That's an element of communication. We assign meaning to words. That's also a part of communication. And when communication is good, it edifies. edifies edifying means an uplifting, a strength. It is an encouragement. It's edifying. Communication is supposed to be that way. And communication is also collaborative. It's not a solo event. Communication takes two people or a, a multiplicity of people that is involved in communicating. It's a way that we express ourselves. It's a way that we form friendships. It's a way that we engage our community based on what we communicate. We share opinions. We share ideas. It's the foundation of all our relationships. Communication is extremely important. When we're talking about relationships, particularly marital relationships, there are several things that are, are profound in that. Finances is one, sexuality is one, and communication is another one. And it's, it's like the, the foundation and the framework for everything else. So communication is important and it is a challenge. Many, especially in our current environment of social media, are reaping the negative results of their words. And in some cases, some people that have been out on the forefront and they've been judging everybody, that has boomeranged. People start pilfering through their past statements and what they've said online, social media, and all of a sudden that comes around, comes back around to haunt them. We need to bridle our tongues, and James speaks about this. Many times we are really ready to speak and slow to listen, and he states this in James chapter 1 and verse number 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. We get it in reverse. Slow to wrath. In verse 26 of chapter 1, he said, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain, vain. So if there's not controls on our communication, if the Word of God is not a governor in controlling, if the Holy Ghost is not operating in our life, and we're not slow to speak, and swift to hear and slow to wrath, and we're not bridling our tongue, then we're deceiving ourselves and our religion is in vain. It's amazing that the Holy Ghost comes through the tongue. The tongue is the principal part of communication. It's very difficult to control the tongue. It makes absolute sense why the Holy Ghost comes through the speaking in tongues, through our tongue, because it's an indication of our own will it's an indication of our heart, and a man's religion is in vain if, if that's not bridled. 
And so God, when he sets up residence and he controls us, he does it through the tongue. And there's a divine reason for that. It's not just craziness. It's not that we've lost our minds. Why would God choose the infilling of the Holy Ghost, a sign of that infilling to be through the tongue? It's because that's where everything happens and communication happens. James chapter 3 and verse number 3. Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be also great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. What a great passage of scripture to explain how the Holy Ghost comes in and controls who we are through our communication. Amen. It's a challenge. The word of God needs to govern our words. And in order to be productive and to be edifying and to have gracious communication, God's got to be at operation there. So if communication is a challenge, and it is, what are some principles that help in godly communicating? That's our second point here tonight. There are some principles for godly communication. Our testimony is enhanced when our communication is characterized by a gracious and appealing tone. I think that's an, uh, that is a, a statement that needs to be uh, stated and is profound because in our world today, communication is yelling, yelling at everybody, yelling louder. I'm not listening. I'm just yelling louder. I'm yelling over you. I don't really want to hear what you have to say. I'm just regurgitating anger and clamor and I'm speaking over you and this leads to wrath and anger and all kinds of if you would allow me to say stupidity. This should not be gracious. It should not be the case in gracious communication. That's not a godly thing. That's an ungodly thing. Godly communication should be characterized by gracious and an appealing tone. As Christians growing in God's grace and seeking to deepen our relationship with him, we should be intentional in engaging and in communication that honors God. So what I say in the communication that I have should bring edification to other people and it should edify God. It should edify God. There is a passage of scripture that helps us with this. It's found in Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 6. Colossians 4 and verse number 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Our communication should be accompanied by what? 
should be accompanied by grace. Our speech should be seasoned with what? Should be seasoned with salt. And that causes us, this particular verse, to reflect on the transforming nature of what God has done in our lives. The way that we speak, the way that we talk, the way that we communicate should be an absolute indication of the transforming work of God in our life. And everything that we communicate and say should bring honor to God as a reflection that he has done great things in my life. If you were a person that cursed, cussed, carried on, sh yelling, shouting, uh, clamor, confusion, and God does something radical in your life, you're not going to be the same individual. It's an indication of your religion, said James. So it's very, very important. Communication should be good. It should not be corrupt. And in doing so, it should glorify and will glorify God. Paul, when he's talking to Timothy on several occasions, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he said, Refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Timothy, don't get caught up in all of this stuff, but exercise yourself unto godliness. Another verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, he said, Keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Titus, be careful that your, your communication doesn't, that doesn't go over here in profane and vain babblings because that's not gracious communication. He said it again in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Now, this is where we live in a world. <laughs> we, are, we are in a world in which there is much profane and vain babblings. And it is increasing. And it's increasing unto godliness? No, not unto, not unto godliness, but unto ungodliness. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile, they speak no deception. Amen. Salt makes uh, food more palatable. It has a preserving effect, but it also seasons, and our communication be, should be seasoned in graciousness. And it should be seasoned with the Word of God. It should be seasoned with the Spirit of God. Our speech and our online activity should reflect speaking truth in love. Amen. The fact that you can be anonymous online emboldens conduct that is out of character. You would never say that to somebody's face. You wouldn't even go there. But somehow, because online you have the ability to kind of be anonymous, all of a sudden everybody is an authority and everybody is speaking. I think in a modern context, this would be what Paul is saying to Timothy, avoid vain babblings and profane speaking. It's not beneficial, it's not gracious communication. Speak the truth in love, but let the scripture help you stay in your lane. Be careful before you post that. Be, be careful before you put people on blast. This is not gracious communication. And it's not true religion. True religion is speaking the truth in love and having 
gracious communication. So before you go out there on Facebook and on Instagram and you start saying a lot of stuff, you need to really, really examine how to stay in your lane, which is the, is the word of God directing this? Is the word of God speaking the truth in love? Is the Holy Ghost seasoning my communication here? If it's not, I need to avoid it. I need to avoid it because it's not going to be helpful. It's not going to be helpful to the community. It's not going to be helpful to other people within my own church. I need to have gracious communication. I mean, this was so much of an issue for the psalmist that he wrote in Psalm 19 and verse 14. I mean, this was a prayer. It should be our prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I have a sneaky suspicion that too many times we're swift to speak, we're swift to respond to what somebody stated on social media that we're not praying this prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. This is a challenge. It's not easy. I'm not suggesting that this is an easy thing. But communication is a challenge. And communication is not only in what we say. It's not only what's coming out of our mouth. But it's also how we listen. How we listen. And that's the other side of communication. Communication is not just the one-way act of speaking. And a commitment to gracious communication should prompt us to evaluate the way we listen to other people. We can reflect on God's grace when we offer support and understanding by listening. And a verse that helps us understand that, several verses, are found in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2 and verse number 13. Proverbs chapter 18, Proverbs chapter 2, verse, let's see, Proverbs, sorry, Proverbs chapter 18, Proverbs 18, and verse 2, verse 2 and verse 13. Verse 2. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Verse 13. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. A wise man is helping us with communication. A fool has no delight in what? A fool has no delight in understanding. He's not there to gather in any understanding. A fool is only, want to, only wanting to project his own opinions, beliefs, ideas. He's not interested in understanding. A fool is concerned with and expressing what? Himself or herself. And if an answer is formed before the matter is heard, it results in what? It results in folly and in shame. This is a very key point, especially in parenting. Sometimes your kids come to you and they'll tell you something 
They'll tell you about a matter, and if you haven't heard the full matter, if you're not careful, you'll run speedily out there to defend. The wise man said it's going to result in folly and shame because it's folly that you're not going out and finding out all the details before you make a judgment. And then it's shameful because many times you'll say things and do things before hearing the whole matter that eventually comes back around and shame comes upon you because you recognized, I moved too fast. I took a side before hearing the whole matter. Listening is a vital part of communication. And there's a big, big difference between hearing and listening. You don't need to think to hear something. That's just auditory stimuli. You hear it, but it doesn't mean that you're listening. It happens naturally. You hear things naturally. Listening is a voluntary mental process. In that Acts chapter 15, Jerusalem Council, the reason we, re we read verse number 12 is because they kept silence and they listened to Paul and Barnabas. We can comprehend speech over two times faster than we can speak. An average person is able to speak 150 to 175 words per minute, yet we can comprehend speech over two times faster than that. And many times what happens, this is the setup, and every single one of us We've done this. No, nobody's ever been exempt from this, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I say this. The problem happens, given that scenario, is that we listen to what is spoken while using our additional capacity to formulate our response or to think about something that's completely, it's a completely different subject. So somebody could be talking to me, and I am hearing what they're saying, but I'm not really listening. I've only heard bits and pieces. I'm already formulating in my mind what I'm going to say to that point or this point. And sometimes, I don't even do that. I'll just jump in and interrupt whatever's being said because I want to get my two cents in. That's not gracious communication. If, if you're always interrupting somebody when they're talking, you need to stop because that's not a good form of communication. I understand there's a little bit of give and take when we're talking. Some, some have, sometimes we, but some people have a tendency to just jump in, jump in, jump in, jump in, jump in until the person just like puts their hand over their mouth and it doesn't do them any good to say anything because they know you're going to come through like a blaze of glory and hammer and interrupt everything that they're trying to say. We have that tendency. We're hearing the person, something stuck. So they said something, we didn't like it, we want to defend, and so we're already formulating in our mind what we're going to say and what we're going to speak and how we're going to respond, and we're, we're missing so, so very, very much. And if that's not the case, they're talking to us, but we're somewhere far, far away, and, and we're thinking about something completely different. If we have the right principles in place, gracious communication can edify both parties or all the parties that are communicating. And we will recognize the value of listening. We're going to have a much better opportunity to communicate 
through, and this is uh, the last point, through conflict. Through conflict. So, gracious communication is something that we should strive for. It should be edifying. It's a challenge. It's very much a challenge. And the principles in communication should be to edify. It should be edifying communication, not corrupt communication. Good communication, not corrupt communication. And a part of that process is listening. So it's not only what we're saying, but it's also what we're listening and how we're responding. And that's going to set us up for conflict. It's going to help us in conflict. Part of our commitment to grow in our relationships with God and be led by His Spirit involves analyzing our relationships with other people. And when you're in relationships with other people, there's going to be conflict at some point in time. Conflict may be inevitable in these relationships. That, <laughs> that may be a little rose-colored uh, statement. Conflict may be inevitable. Conflict will be inevitable in relationships. But with God's help, we can learn to navigate conflict in a gracious way. Delayed resolution of conflicts provides an opportunity to the devil who seeks to destroy every good relationship in our life. But communication helps us find resolution. Passage of scripture that helps us with that regard is Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 31 and 32. This is the last point here tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Communicating through conflict. Another passage is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So what are we not to do when we get angry? We're not to sin. The sun should not go down on what? The sun should not go down on our wrath. Who benefits if we do not resolve our conflicts in a timely manner? The devil. And how are we supposed to forgive one another? We're supposed to forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sakes, hath forgiven you. So that should bring to us a certain amount of humility in our communication. Conflict is inevitable. Are we going to grow through conflicts or are we going to be divided because of conflicts? There's much to be said here, but here are some things that you should try to avoid when it comes to conflicts, using these verses as an example. Number one, criticism can be a negative thing. There's a difference between having a complaint and criticizing. 
The difference is between the pronouns I and you. A complaint is going to focus on the I. I have a complaint. But criticism focuses and turns the spotlight on you and usually uses words like never and always. I have a complaint. I want to discuss that and see if we can't get to some resolution. It's much different than saying you always or you never. This becomes something that is detrimental in gracious communication. Contempt is something that should be avoided. Intending to insult or inflict emotional harm, blatant disrespect, hostility, mockery, name-calling. These include racial prejudice, bigotry, and discrimination. All this language is wrapped up into a negative connotation, and it's not gracious. It's not gracious. So in our conflict, we should have some ground rules, and I'm coming to a conclusion here tonight. Uh, we should place some things and some ground rules and try our very best. Again, communication is a challenge. But the Word of God's going to help us, and the Holy Ghost is going to help us. And we're not always going to get it right, but we're always going to strive for gracious communication. It's going to help us. It's going to help our relationships. It's going to help our church community and family, and it's also going to benefit our broader, wider community. Here's some good ground rules. Just some basic. There's, a, there's, a, there's books. <laughs> there's counseling. There's a, there's a lot of things that have been written on communication. And you should read some of them. You should strive to be a better communicator. But here are some just some basic ground rules, okay? Number one... In gracious communication, you should try to keep conflict and communication regarding it private. If you're parents, you should never, you should never have conflict resolution taking place in front of your children. This is not a good thing. You should not belittle, mock, complain, put down, uh, because what you're doing is you're establishing you're, you're, you're establishing disunity in your home. And you're creating not only problems for you and your significant other, but now you're creating a whole other set of emotional circumstances in your children. When they're younger, they'll learn and develop somehow how to leverage you against the other. And you, you have to be unified. When they get older, they'll resent everything that has gone on in your home. And they'll use that if they're in a stage of rebellion. So your conflict needs to be something that's private. You should control the volume and tone in your conversations. Gracious communication may be pointed, um, may have something, there, there was much disputing in Acts 15. I am sure these parties were very, very determined about what they felt and how they felt. Uh, but at the same time, they controlled the volume and the tone. And if your volume is way up there and you're just shouting and yelling, and if your tone is full of anger and malice and bitterness, this is not communication that's going to be healthy. 
Never attack one another verbally or physically. This is not gracious communication. Never allow a conflict to remain unresolved. If you don't take care of a conflict and do it through communication, it will eat on you. It will be a root of bitterness that will defile you. And the scripture said that when that happens, guess who moves in? Neither give place to the devil. The devil will use any unresolved conflict that he can. Make it right. Get it right. Work on it. Do not import previous disagreements into the present conflict. Once a conflict is resolved, don't bring it up again. Well, I remember when, but if that was resolved back then, why are you bringing it back to the table again? Don't import previous disagreements into a present conflict. This is not gracious communication. And then, man, this is very powerful because the last part of that verse says, have some humility, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That's humility. That means coming to God and others in humility. In conclusion here tonight, we can improve our communication and we can develop the skill of listening. Sometimes uh, in preaching, you can see the level of skill based on the way people are listening to you. Now, you're sitting out in the congregation and you may not realize it or you may look around and see it somewhat, but the posture of people and the way that they sit, whether it's like this or sometimes it's even like this, okay? Um, or like this or over here or talking and busying themselves Sometimes you can see people in the congregation, they don't, they're hearing, but they're really not listening because it's uncomfortable. So they'll busy themselves with kids and grandkids and children because they don't want the word of God penetrating. Listening is a skill. It takes focus, time, and attention. Some things happen in a church service, and I know I'm sitting on a platform, I'm listening to somebody teach and preach, um, and so I'm trying to exemplify what we should be doing as a listener. And it's a skill that I've tried to hone and work on. And school helps with that. And taking notes helps with that. And listening and what have you. That uh, I'm so focused on what somebody's saying that I don't, I don't, I don't. Did you see afterwards, maybe, somebody will say, did you see what happened? Did you, did you see who stepped in? Did you see what happened out there in the pew? No, I didn't. And the reason I didn't is because I was focused, I was trying to focus and listen on what somebody was saying. So speaking, you go to school for communication. You'll take a speech class. They, uh, in your education, they feel like that is really, really important. There's not as much focus on listening. I only have, have come across, not in a class just on listening or emphatic listening, only in bits and pieces maybe but not a real focus on it because it's a skill and it includes the other side of communication. Not only do I need to speak, but I need to listen. That's part of gracious communication. And we can improve upon those skills, both speaking and listening. And this is what is significant. So how, how does this help me? And Because God is in the, we've read all these verses, God is right in the middle of what you're saying and what you're 
listening to and how you're listening. Amen. God is in the middle of that to help us develop those skills because the community of believers grows stronger if we improve. If we improve. And the Jerusalem meeting captured everything we've covered here. And had it gone sideways, the expansion of the church and the inclusion of both Jews and Gentiles in the church would have been sabotaged. They should be commended and the value of what they accomplish should be a great cornerstone for us in how we view communication. There was great dispute, uh, disputing, disputation, but then at some point they kept silence and they listened to Paul and Barnabas and then they came to a resolution and the meeting was edifying because they had a solution when they walked out of that particular council. We need to pray for each and every one of us. This is not something that is easy. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. But if we work at it and we try our best to be Christ-like, we will accomplish having gracious communication that lovingly confronts, that speaks the truth in love, that is not shouting, yelling, angry, that, that veers off into violence and malice and bitterness. These are not things that the church should pursue. What we should pursue, with the Word of God being our helper and the Holy Ghost operating in our life, we should pursue gracious communication. Let's pray and ask God to help us both learn how to speak and learn how to listen, amen, and learn how to speak the truth in love. Savior, we thank you and praise you. We magnify you and know that your word was given to us to help us, not just for salvation. Salvation is certainly the thrust of the gospel message. But in order to communicate the gospel message, we have to communicate graciously and so your word in so many ways helps us with life skills. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about communication. Our relationships will be better. Our church will be better and our community will be better when we learn how to both speak the truth in love and when we learn how to listen. We ask that you would direct us and help us and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you for being with us on a Tuesday night. We're expecting great things on Thursday night tent meeting. We had a powerful service Sunday, and every time we've come together, it's been a move of God, and we need a move of God more than anything in our world right now. So we'll see you on Thursday night, 7 o'clock in the sanctuary for prayer, 7.30 at the tent for church. God bless you.